We're gonna be in Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 to 27. And the book of Proverbs is known as part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And the majority of Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David, you know, David and Goliath. And then he was also the third king of Israel. And Solomon was known for his wisdom. He was known for what he knew. The important part of his wisdom is that it did not come from himself His wisdom came from God. Hear that? This is important. Solomon's wisdom, the words we will read today, came from God himself. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, it says this. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than the wisdom of all of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Haman and Calcol and Darda, sons of Mahol. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. I mean, that's a lot. That is a whole lot. We see here that God specifically gave him this wisdom. We typically understand Solomon to be the wisest human that has ever lived other than Jesus, who was God and man together, we see Solomon as being wise because he received wisdom from God. Now, as we open up into our scripture today, um, we're gonna be in chapter four of Proverbs. And in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, there's 10 admonitions given to what's described as Solomon's son. So our passage today is one of those, and it is addressed to my son. Now, it's fitting for us and interesting for us to look at a passage like this on a Father's Day, because we look at it in terms of a father giving a son advice, giving him direction, the right path to follow. And if you're a father in here, you have probably done that with your child at some point, given them advice, direction, because you want them to follow a good path for their life. You want to try and impart wisdom to your children to help them follow the good way, a good direction. And in this, we see Solomon was challenging his son to direct every part of himself towards wisdom so that he may walk the right path and keep away from evil. Now this seems pretty fantastic, right? Like go Solomon, Solomon, you're a great dad, right? I think there's something important that we must understand before we dive into our passage today. Something regarding Solomon and also regarding our current cultural moment. And life. The first thing with Solomon was that Solomon was not the model dad. 
He was not perfect. He may have had vast insight and understanding and wisdom, but he did not always live that out. Solomon had a lust and a desire for experiences and possessions. He acquired everything he could possibly acquire, tried to experience everything he could possibly experience. It says in here that he had 300 concubines. I don't know that I would give him the award for father of the year, right? Like that's not a great example to give. That is not the way that God has designed us to live in relationship. Later on, we see in his life in Ecclesiastes, he talks about the worthlessness of all these things. He says they're like a vapor. In other words, they're hard to grasp. The happiness he thought, or the happiness he sought through experience and desire was impossible to grasp because everything he sought was meaningless without God. So needless to say, Solomon's not winning any awards for like best dad of the year kind of thing. But then also the second thing we need to understand about our cultural moment is that we live in a world with very few good fatherly examples. Now I'm not trying to dog you like dads in the room. I'm not saying you're a bad dad at all because I know many of you and you're seeking to follow after the Lord, seeking to, to train your children up in the love and the admonition of God, like you're seeking to do the right thing. But the reality of the world we live in is that there are many absent fathers and many of you in this room have lived or are living in this reality. For some of you, I understand that Father's Day is not necessarily a day of celebration, but a day of lament. And for that, we, and I, we lament with you. And with those two things in mind, I want to give us a lens to view this passage, to understand what it is saying to us. This is not just a message from Solomon to his son. This is a message from God the Father to us as his children. You hear that? I'm gonna say that one more time. This is not just a message to, from Solomon to his son. This is a message from God the Father to us as his children. The wisdom of Solomon had a source. That source is God the Father, the creator of everything. And God is the ultimate father and the only true good, good father who is perfect in all his ways. He has compassion for us. He has made a way for us for salvation through his son, Jesus. And I want you all to know, know today that you have a good, good father in heaven that loves you. So as we read this, we're reading this as instruction from our heavenly father to us as, as his children. So what we will discover today is that to walk the path of wisdom, every part of us must be oriented to God the Father. So with that being said, let's open up and read Proverbs chapter four. We're gonna start in verse 20. It will be up on the screen and you can follow along with me in your Bible. It says this, my son, pay attention to my words. 
Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead, carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word that you have given us today. And I pray that as we look at it, that we would trust it as your good fatherly advice and direction for our life. Lord, thank you for loving us and being our good father. Help us today to orient ourselves towards your word, towards who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we want to walk on your good path and we need your guidance in that, Lord. Help us to look towards you today. In your name we pray, amen. Now, the last time I was able to preach on a Sunday morning, I was in the book of Ephesians. It was Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 to 17. And I actually spoke on this subject, on the subject of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? How do we have it? And there are three points that I think are important for us as we open up into this passage that we saw in Ephesians. The first that we need is that we need to recognize where wisdom originates. We talked about how wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. That's not a being afraid or necessarily scared of the Lord, but it's a being in awe of who he is, of what he's done for us and how amazing he is. And when we see that, that is what guides and directs our lives. And in that same vein, we must recognize our own foolishness, that we need God, that we can't do it on our own. We need his wisdom and that we must start seeking wisdom today. Like not tomorrow, not the next day. We must start seeking wisdom today. And I think this passage that we're in today gives us an example of how to do that, how to orient ourselves to the wisdom of God. So in our passage, what we'll discover is that different parts of the body are used to explain what it looks like to orient our whole self, every part of us, towards God's wisdom. We'll see in this that the centerpiece of all of this is a transformed heart. So the first thing that we're going to discover is that uh, the is we'll see the entryway to the heart, which is the ears and the eyes. In verse 20 and 21, it talks about the ears and eyes and where they should be oriented. And what we see and hear is what we consume and is what directs our hearts and our lives and the way we live. We can kind of view this in two ways that are interconnected when we talk about the word of God, we orient ourselves towards the Bible, the full word of God that we have been given. That's the story of Jesus Christ, the full good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. 
And then also, as John chapter one says, as we focus on the word of God, we see the word made flesh, which is Jesus Christ himself and what he has done for us. We say this at Judson, that the Bible is God's never changing word that guides us in an ever changing world. And we orient ourselves to it by reading or listening to it, by obeying it, by memorizing it. The word shows us God's story of redemption through Jesus. And in this, the three practical steps given in this passage are similar to what we value here at Judson. It says, pay attention. It says to listen closely. It says, don't lose sight. As we talked earlier about Solomon, he had wisdom, but he often lost sight of wisdom. He didn't necessarily pay attention to his own wisdom. He lived his own way rather than the way of wisdom. And I think we can often do this. We often treat the word of God like 10th grade algebra. If I gave you a test on 10th grade algebra today, how would you do? I mean, come on, unless you're in 10th grade. And maybe even if you're in 10th grade, you might not do that well. I don't know. We'd have to see, right? And here's the deal. With 10th grade algebra, when we go through school, we listen and we pay attention, right? At least sometimes, maybe. We keep it for a moment. We take the test. Then we move on. Move to the next grade and leave behind the algebra. We lose sight of it. For to be given a test on it today, we would fail. Unless your career is like a mathematician, you know, and you use it every day, you have a sight on it, you would do well. But for most of us, I definitely don't want a test on algebra today. I would not do well. The thing is, we can treat the word of God just like this. We listen to the word. Maybe even pay attention to it, at least sometimes. We keep it for a moment, then we move on into the busyness of our life and we lose sight of it. While it's easy for us to diminish the importance of this advice given to us, it's actually significant for our lives. What we consume is what enters our heart and guides our life. You hear that? What we consume, what we bring in with our eyes and our ears comes into our heart and guides the direction of our lives. So with this, this leads us to our next point in the passage. The source of life is a changed heart. It says to keep the word within your heart because it is the source of life. It will provide Health for the whole body, it says. It says, guard it above all else. It's interesting. What we discover in the Bible is that both evil and life come from the heart. It sometimes doesn't seem to make sense. 
Well, we by nature are foolish, right? I said earlier, we must recognize our foolishness. This is our sin. We are what the Bible calls sinners and with a heart that is prone to wander away from God's good design for life. But we see in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, it says, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. Evil comes from our heart. By nature, we are sinners. But on the other hand, the heart is also described as the source of life. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your what? Heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, nine describes an outer confession by mouth that comes from a heart that is transformed by Jesus. Jesus talks about this in John chapter three in terms of being reborn. He's having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And in that, he says, you must be reborn. And Nicodemus obviously asks, well, that doesn't, says that doesn't make sense. How can you be reborn? What, how is this even possible? How can this take place? To be reborn or to be saved or to have uh, to be transformed, these are all words that describe the story of Jesus in our lives. We are deviants deserving of God's wrath. But instead of us taking his wrath, he sends his son Jesus to take it. Through Jesus is where we find new life, is where we find heart transformation. New life does not come from behavior modification. It comes from a life transformed in Jesus. Now, while discipline in your life is not a bad thing, it's actually a biblical thing. We call them spiritual disciplines, living out the Lord, living out what God calls us to do. It will do no good without a heart that is transformed and oriented towards God. One commentary writer uh, used an example in terms of cutting the grass. He said, behavior modification is like mowing dandelions. Anyone done that before? Mowing dandelions. You can mow over them and your lawn looks good, but a day or two later, the dandelions have popped back up because the root has not been addressed. The root of our issue is we need a heart transformed and oriented towards God. And I want everyone in this room to know today that the full word of God is spoken about in Proverbs is pointing to our need for new life through the person of Jesus Christ today. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can have a transformed heart today. The next thing we see is the overflow of the heart through our mouth and our eyes and our feet. So the first thing mentioned in this is the mouth. The mouth is the visible overflow of 
our heart. Jesus said this himself in Luke chapter six, verse 45, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. In our passage, it says, to keep dishonest and devious talk out of your mouth. And you might say, like, I don't curse, I don't use coarse language, but that's not what this is exactly talking about. It says dishonest or devious. So the question is, are you twisting your words to get your way? Are you gossiping? Are you lying, even in little things? Consider your words and let that be a gauge for where your heart and your eyes and your ears are oriented. The next thing we see is the eyes and the feet. It says to keep your eyes ahead and carefully consider the path of your feet. How many of you like to go hiking? Anyone? Maybe a few. There weren't many in the first service. We got some more in this one. That's good. Um, I love to go hiking. I don't as much anymore, but I remember one time, one specific time going hiking um, and me and my brother, we were hiking in to go camping and we were hiking down into a valley and there were a lot of rocks along the path. You know, it was kind of uneasy ground most of the way and you hike down in and you kind of do okay. You, you know, you got to keep an eye on where you're stepping. You know, you got to be careful with each step, make sure, you know, the rock is steady as you go in and going in is fine. But I remember coming out, I was exhausted because you're going up, right? You already went down. Now it's time to go up hill, right? And as you do that, it's easy to get distracted and get tired and, and lose a foothold, right? You have to stay super focused on where you're stepping, what direction you are going, or you could fall, you could twist an ankle, you could get hurt in doing that. In a spiritual sense, when we keep our eyes oriented towards the Lord, our path will become clear. We'll know which step to take, but we have to keep our eyes forward towards the Lord. In all of this, we're seeing a picture of what it looks like to orient and fix our life on God, letting his wisdom, not our own, be our guide, direct our steps. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, there's a great example of this. Um, it's in verses 22 to 23, and I wanna read that with you. Um, it's the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water after that. And so I want you to follow along with me. It'll be on the screen. You don't necessarily have to flip to it. And it says this, starting in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came towards them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Now in this passage, we see something incredible happen, right? Like Jesus walks on water, that's incredible. In the midst of a storm, a boat's being tossed around in the winds and the wave, and Jesus just comes walking out on the water. So that's incredible, that's a miracle in and of itself. But I think something significant for us today is to look at what happens with Peter. Because Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out and walk on the water. He said, let me do it. I want to go. And Jesus says, come on, hop out. So he hops out. He starts to walk on the water. This is incredible. And then he gets distracted. He looks to the left. He looks to the right and he sees the winds and the waves tossing about. And rightly so, he gets scared. He gets a little nervous and he starts to sink. And can I just say this? The winds and the waves were a valid distraction for him, right? That's a scary thing as a human being to see the winds and the waves tossing about. I think oftentimes we can say, oh, Peter, why would you do that? Come on, you're doing it again. You know, you're falling into the water. Just trust the Lord. Well, he was scared. Like there was a valid distraction going on around him and he lost attention of the Lord. This is a human response. And the reality is many of you in this room are facing the winds and the waves of life that come in the form of pain and hurt and suffering and sorrow and our own sin and, and difficulties that we face. But the truth is that God is still there. And he's saying, look at me. Look at me, I'll pull you out, right? So here, Peter is sinking into the water. He got distracted and focused from side to side. And what he does as he is sinking, he reorients himself to the Lord. He says, Lord, help me, right? He gets back focused on the Lord. Lord, help me. And what Jesus does is he reaches out the hand and pulls him up. He takes care of him. He shows them him that love. What we learn in this passage in Matthew and in Proverbs is that God has a hand outreached for us and he is always before us. He is always in front of us. Sometimes we look to the left, sometimes we look to the right, we get off the path, but he is always before us and calling out for us to look at him. 
And earlier in Proverbs says, wisdom is calling out from the streets and God is calling out. He's saying, I am before you, look towards me and I will direct your path. I will give you the good direction to go. I'm the one who brings true life. I'm the one who brings the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't you want those things in your life? What Jesus says is look towards me and I will help you with that. Reach your hand out to me, focus on me. As we close today, we must remember that the path, that to walk the path of wisdom, every part of us must be oriented to God the Father. Our eyes and ears should be focused on God's word. Our heart should be guarded and made new through Jesus and our mouth and eyes and feet should be focused on taking the next right step towards Jesus. There are a couple of well-known verses in Psalm 119 that I, I think are fitting and honestly verses that are worth memorizing if you don't have them memorized that sum up what we've talked about in Proverbs. In Psalms 119, 105, it says, your word, as we talked about, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. When we put our eyes and ears on the word of God, our path will be directed. Psalms 119, 11, it's even better. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart, right? So I've seen, I've heard the word, I've brought it into my heart and been transformed so that I might not sin against God, so that I will walk the right path, right? This sums up the entirety of what we have read today. To walk the path of wisdom, every part of us must be oriented toward God the Father. My challenge for you in this time of response is to take a moment to reorient your life towards God and his word. Examine the areas where the winds and the waves have distracted you, are tossing you about, where you feel like you're sinking and reach your hand out to Jesus. Call out to him for help and bring that to him and he will guide you. Look to him to direct your path. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll go into a time of response. And the altars will be open. If there's something you need to bring to the Lord and that to reorient towards him, bring it to the altar, lay it down towards him. I'll also be standing at the front. If, if you feel like the Lord's leading you to salvation, if, if you don't have a heart transformed through him, you can do that today. It says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. Believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead and you will be saved. So come see me or come pray at the altar or pray where you are and sing and worship as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and who he is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given us. Lord, help us to turn our eyes towards you, to fix our gaze on you, to orient every part of us towards you. Lord, let our eyes see you. Let our ears hear you. Let our heart be transformed by you. Let our mouth speak goodness about you. 
Let our eyes see the path you want us to walk and let our feet walk on it, Lord. Lord, we want to follow your way, your good way of wisdom in our life. Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace that you have shown us through Jesus. Let that guide us and strengthen us. It's your name we pray. Amen.